Howdy and hello. You are listening to the Elevate Your Eight podcast, and I am your undeniably excited host, Chris McPeak. This is a 15-minute weekly show where I will attempt to break down your excuses and debunk the myths regarding why you do not have any time to do your shit. Gear up, grab your planner, we're going to have an amazing time. Good morning, Elevators, and welcome to Elevate Your Eight. This is the weekly podcast where we talk about all things time management and productivity. I'm Chris McPeak, your host, and we have a fabulous guest with us today, somebody who has just sort of come into my life um, with my day job, and I'm going to let him introduce himself today. But before we go any further, I just want to remind everybody that the Elevate Your Eight book is this show's sponsor, and you can pick that up on Amazon.com, and you can find a link to the book on our website. So I'm not going to fool around anymore there. I'm going to go right to our interview. So I'm here today with Jeff Bagel, and I met him recently at the CASE Conference, Council for Advancement and Secondary Education. Jeff, thank you for being here. I appreciate it. Oh, thank you, Chris. It's great to be here. Now, tell me, tell me and the listeners a little bit about what you do and how you have come to this field and what you like most about it. I'll start with the third part first. What I like most about it is what I love, and that's the people. Because you get to deal with different people every single day and help people take their philanthropy and take what they do to the next level. For myself, I'm an author, just like you, and... Chris is also a little bit humble because we did a book signing together. (laughs) We were able to check out each other's books, but I'm actually the author of Annual Fundraising Plans Made Simple. And what that is, is it's a roadmap for -for not-for-profits to follow so that they can plan their days and plan their months and plan their year at a time with everything that they do and gives them a chance to really maximize their philanthropic success. I'm a speaker, so I'm fortunate enough to be able to travel throughout the country and speak on philanthropy, speak on the book, speak on stewardship, and just other items of the not-for-profit world that can help people do their job better. And I'm a consultant. I'm a principal with e-advancement consulting, and there's we're a national firm. There's eight of us around the country, and together, again, we work with not-for-profits, a lot of colleges and some other sectors as well, to help organizations improve their philanthropy. It could be through feasibility studies, capital campaign management, uh, development audits. Some of us do some interim work as well, professional job coaching. We really just want to strengthen nonprofits worldwide. Well, great. You guys run the gamut there. It's a busy, a busy field and a lot of different moving pieces, it sounds like. Um, so I'm very intrigued, first of all, at the, the word planning. You, that's front and center in your book, Annual Fundraising Planning Made Simple. So talk to me a little bit about how you use the concept of planning both in your book and in your work, because I think in the realm of time management and productivity, being successful means doing a little bit of planning. So I'd, I'd like to hear a little bit about your process, how the book kind of explains how to plan things, and, and then how you use it in your work. because 
you're a consultant and I, and as I can see in the video here, I'm assuming you're working from home today. Um, and, and that in itself requires some planning. So, um, so yeah, let's, let's run through that a little bit. Well, let's dive into it. Here's why I did the book, Chris, because what I realized it, when I would meet people and I was in the field, I spent 30 years in the not-for-profit industry. Uh, my last job was a vice president foundation and alumni relations at a community college, but I've worked in the arts and cultural healthcare and human services as well. And fundraisers are busy people. Mm-hmm. Jump from one thing to the next. And they never take time to do two things that are very important. One, take a step back and and pat themselves on the back for a job well done. They just move from one thing to the next. And two, they don't have that comprehensive plan. In any development office, many of them have plans for what they do, but not comprehensively as a whole. And you cannot maximize your fundraising success if you don't have a plan. I can't guarantee you if you have a plan, you maximize it. But if you don't have a plan, I guarantee you, you won't maximize it. So when I was talking to my peers, it wasn't that they didn't want to have one. It was two things, and it's exactly what you speak about. They felt they didn't have the time to put it together. Or they had it in their head, but they didn't quite know how to put it on paper. And that's what this book does. It's a how-to that it's, it's pretty simple. Get it out of your head. Get it on paper. It doesn't take as long as you think. And then it will really maximize your, your productivity going forward and maximize your relationship with your boss, your colleagues, your donors, and other stakeholders of the organization. Here's, here's what, I, what I tell people that don't think they have the time to do it. In your personal life, if you, if you take time off because you want to go on vacation and you give six months notice, mm-hmm. do you then just show up at the airport six months down the road and you haven't booked a flight yet? Mm-hmm. And you know you want to go to the islands, but then you have to pick whatever island is available that day, and then you're going to end up sitting in the middle seat in the last row by the restroom. You're going to get to your destination. You're not going to be able to get to your hotel right away because you didn't rent a car, because you didn't plan. Mm-hmm. You're going to end up at a hotel, but it's not going to be the hotel on the beach. It's going to be three blocks away because you didn't plan accordingly. And then you're going to open up your suitcase and realize you forgot your bathing suit and your suntan lotion because <laughs> You didn't plan accordingly. Nobody would ever do that. But in our work lives, we tend to do that. We jump from one thing to the next. So planning, and that's why I'm so intrigued and excited about what you talk about and in, in with your book, that really helps. You, you can maximize what you do. We wouldn't do that in our personal life, but we do it in our work life all the time. So a book like yours, a book like mine, hopefully we're moving the needle and it's a paradigm shift to show that planning really can make the difference for you. I love that analogy of taking the trip. And I think that really hits home for me, especially um, because you're right. We don't think about those things a lot in the workplace. Um, Now at, at Case, I went to your session that you did with Doug Ferguson and, and you were explaining an alumni plan. So there's a, a piece of your book, there's, there's a template there. Um, and I think it could be a very universal um, type of tool. So can you walk us a little bit through how you developed that tool and, and where you see it fitting in, not, a, not just the fundraising world, but to like, can anybody pick up your book and be able to utilize that template that you showed us? 
Yes, because all the book is, and all I'm asking you to do is think a little bit. So you talk about, you know, the elevator for your time. The first part of a plan is a synopsis. And I, I borrowed your line, I guess you could say, <laughs> elevator speech. So take whatever project you're working on. It could be a life project, a work project. And you condense it down to an elevator speech so that if you had to explain it to somebody between floor one and two, floor two of an elevator, they could get the gist of it. Just enough information of what they need, you needed them to know without giving them too much information that they may not process in a short period of time. From there, then look at your synopsis and what are your challenges? And I use challenges in a positive way. Challenges are potential stumbling blocks. List them and put them in bullet points. And again, this would work for any project at work or any home project as well, anything that you're working on. And then what are your strengths? Here's how you know if you have a strength. If you say, can I build on that? And if the answer is yes, it's a strength. And list those out in bullet points as well. Once you have that laid out, then you can go to your outcomes. What do you want to achieve? What are your goals? And here's where people fail. And I've been known to fail at this before too. A lot of us, at least the way I'm wired, is you always want to over-deliver. Keep your goals real. Because if they're real, you have a chance at achieving them. If you make them too large or too broad, and that's true in anything, it becomes unmotivational to you. And mm -hmm. you tend to go away and say, that doesn't work for me. If you keep it real, you have a great chance of being able to succeed. So put your outcomes down, but then make sure that they're quantifiable. So just don't say, I want to improve this. You want to improve it by how much? Or how are you, you know, what are you going to do to improve it? It should be something that when you look at it, you can say, I hit it or I didn't. And then you can go from there. And then do your tactics. Your tactics are how you're going to achieve your goals. Just bullet point them out. But that way it's all laid out. And then the last piece of the plan of any type of plan that you do, that's your action steps. Put those down, but there's one key with action steps. Do you know what it is? I'll share it if you don't. The key to action steps? Yep. I am dying to hear what yours is. Okay. When you put your action steps down, whoever is responsible for doing it, put their initials. So if you're responsible for doing it or if it's a personal, plan, put your initials down. Because if you don't, then you don't own it. If you don't see it, you don't own it. And, and, it's, and a fun little story with that, and it goes back to the alumni planning that you were talking about earlier. Mm -hmm. I was with an alumni director, and basically she was starting a program from scratch in one person. And she put together the plan, and we got to her action steps, and she had everything laid out in a quarterly fashion. And I said, but there's no initials here. Who's doing the work? You put the initials on the people who are doing the work. And then she came back and her initials were next to everything. And she went, oh my God, am I going to be busy? <laughs> Real when your name is next to it. And then you tend to do it. And I love that too. And I remember that from the conference. I think you told that exact story um, about there, there's something physical, I think, tangible about adding the initials to it that, like you said, makes you makes you own that work um, and do, do the account, be accountable for, for what it is that you're saying that you're going to do. I think that's fantastic. The other thing that it does too, is you might realize it's too much. 
And then that gives you the opportunity to take some things out so that you can achieve what you need to achieve. Yeah, because I think our plans need to have flexibility because life happens. And every now and then you'll run into a stumbling block where something's not going to go exactly the way that you wanted it to. So that template, I think, gives you room to kind of, okay, let's go back and look at the plan. How can we adjust and, and move forward, right? A plan is a roadmap. You're going down a specific road, but as you go down that road, a new road may be built, a road might get closed, and you have to be able to adjust on the fly. Exactly. Because there may be a better way. What the plan really does, though, Chris, is it keeps you on track because I don't know if this has ever happened to you, but I know it's happened to me. Have you ever felt like in some, you thought you did a really good job with something and the person you're talking to looks at you and goes, great job chopping down the trees in the forest but you were in the wrong forest. Mm -hmm. You pretty much alleviate that. That doesn't happen if you're following your plan. I love that. Um, cool. I just, I, I scooted back on my desk to pick out your, the bookmark that goes with your book. Um, I wanted to have that with me getting ready to, when we get to the end. So, so let's talk a little bit about that you're sort of a freelancer and you write and you do consulting work with some other people that are part of your firm. So since you don't get up in the morning, drive to an office, do your work, drive home, tell me how working for yourself or working as a consultant, tell me how you work that into your day. Like do you get up at a certain time and say, I'm at work or do you kind of roll through your day and think, oh, I'm going to work four hours here and then I'm going to go to a movie and then I'm going to go out to dinner with my family and then I'm going to work two more hours or something like that. Oh, no, I would... I've never, I've never done that. Now, again, I do, I do work from home, but I also keep an office as well, about two miles from my house. Oh, great. Like that place to go. Uh, I like having a place of my own and I go and get my thoughts, do my writing, do my client calls. But a lot of my time, here's the challenge is is spent with clients and it could be spent with clients on the phone. It can be spent with clients in person and our clients are throughout the country. So there's a lot of travel involved too. So it's how do you plan your time? Because when you're with your clients, you are solely with the client you are with anybody else, but they're still just as important to you. So actually the challenge is the balance mm -hmm. if you're client all day. How do you meet your other client needs in the evening? Or how do you do your writing? How do you do your prospecting for, for future clients as well? Because of the dedicated time you have to give to each and every one of them. And that's a balancing act. It's, it's, I've never had the point where I'll go see a movie for a half a day. I haven't got there yet. I don't, I don't think I'm wired for that. <laughs> in fact, when you do this kind of work, the challenge is just the opposite. It's how do you shut it off? So when you want to go to a movie on a Saturday or a Saturday night that you're not thinking about work and you're not thinking about your client needs and you're not thinking about how you're going to secure or, or work, you know, work with a different client. That's the bigger challenge is turning it off instead of just being, being able to have the flexibility. So what's your, what's your main tip or trick that you like to use so that, so that you can turn it off, so that you can find a balance. I'm still working on that. <laughs> okay. You know, that's a challenge. You know, that's a challenge every day. Here are some things that I'm trying um, that I've learned from best practices from others. Always schedule time for yourself. 
So treat yourself like a client. So if you need time to exercise in the morning, just don't say you're going to exercise. You schedule it like a client meeting. Mm -hmm. And your exercise time is 6 to 7.30, but you put it on your calendar where you're booked for 6 to 7.30. If you want to do just a little research about writing or, or just something like that, and put it on your calendar from noon to 1. And then that is your time from noon to 1 to break away to do that. Because if you don't schedule it like you would schedule a client, it won't happen. Uh, so that's, that's really what I'm trying to focus on to do those kind of things. The other thing that I've learned in my profession, not just from consulting, but when I was a practitioner as well, is get the big stuff out of the way in the morning. Because if you have something that you really don't want to do or that's big, it's easy to delay it. And the longer you delay it, you find excuses not to do it. So if you tackle it first thing, then you feel good about yourself and the rest of the day actually gets easier and you feel more productive. I love that and I think in a lot of ways, Jeff, you and I share the same brain because I, I do what you do. I call it chunking. Um, I actually schedule work time on my calendar and, and so the work time is the name of the meeting and then where it says place, location is where I put down what I need to do. And so that reminds me like, oh yeah, I've got to go work on programming this database for scholarships today or today I have to work on files. Um, I have to get all these files cleaned up and caught up and that's what was sitting on my chair when I came into the office today. Um, and you had said something else now and I've just totally lost it. So, oh, making time for yourself. And I think that's so great too. And that exactly um, fits into, you know, my whole theory and philosophy on making sure that you're only working eight hours a day and that you're getting your sleep too. So I love that you're that you put that out there as a, as a task that has to be done. So you treat yourself as a client. I think that's, if I schedule, if I, if I schedule a work day where I'm working out of my office, I'll actually, and I don't have any plans that day. It's a total work day. I'll schedule a lunch appointment for myself. So 15 minutes before it'll come up lunch in 15 minutes and that'll give me a chance to break away. Otherwise you can just stay so focused and you don't eat. Yeah. And you just drain yourself. Mm -hmm. Schedule it. I definitely know people that forget to eat. <laughs> so don't take lunch until 2.30. Um, all right, well, we're, cl we're close to the end of our time, but I think I want to ask you, Jeff, specifically, like, is there anything else about your planning method, your book, that you think our listeners should, should know? Well, I think they should take a look at the book, and they can find it on case.org. It, it is really the bestseller that Case has. It just went into a second print. So I'm very, I'm very proud of that. It's a how-to book. So it's not a hard read. It's not a long read. It is something, again, that you can, you can do in, in different, apply to different parts of your life. And, you know, the only thing I'd want to tell, tell your listeners is this, is, you know, and this is what I put when people want me to sign the book, but I, I do it for a reason. Vision it, plan it, and do it. So whatever you do in life, it's a three-step process. Vision it in your head. Plan it on paper. And then execute it. Just go do it. And if you successful in business and in life. Awesome. Well, the book is Annual Fundraising Plans Made Simple, a roadmap for community colleges and small development shops. And we've been talking to Jeff Bagel here. Um, Jeff, tell everybody where they can find you or connect with you either on social media, online, LinkedIn, whatever you're comfortable with. 
I'm comfortable on LinkedIn. It's at Bagel Jeff on Twitter, but go to my website, www.jeffbagel.com, and let's start a conversation that way too. You can schedule time to speak with me. Love speaking everything philanthropy or anything else we talked about today that you want to explore further. Let's talk. Cool. Okay, my last question. This is what I'm going to ask everybody on the podcast. So, there's oh, the pressure's on. <laughs> there's 24 usable hours in every day, right? If you could wake up tomorrow and suddenly have 25 hours, what is that one thing that you would do in that 25th hour that's just for you? Wow, that, that's a great question. At the risk of alienating the people whom I love most, it would be an extra long walk with just me and my dog. Hey, there is nothing wrong with that. I think that that is a great way to spend your 25th hour mm -hmm. if and when we ever get it. Okay, uh, we've been talking to Jeff Bagel. This is the Elevate Your Aid podcast, and we'll be back again in a week with another fantastic, enlightening episode. I hope everyone has a great week, and we'll catch you next time. This is Charles McPeak, head coach and aquatics director of Silver Peak Performance, the team with one national championship and seven top tens, 2018 and counting. Silver Peak Performance is proud to be one of the sponsors of the Elevate Your Eight podcast. If you're in the LA area and want to check out a practice, please visit our website at silverpeakperformance.com.